0: Chinese say, Ni hao. Ni hao, Ni, hao. Hmm. Ni hao. oh, okay, Ni hao, Jesher, Inside Stories. Today on Inside Stories, we cross 12 time zones to speak with Bill Siggins. He's an expatriate living in Beijing, whom I met a very long time ago when I was also living in the Chinese capital. We uh, became friends and though we only see each other maybe once in five years, we've still got a great friendship. Bill, thank you for joining us.
1: You're welcome, Scotty. And it's really good to see you and to hear from you. Very good.
0: Awesome. How how long have you been living in China, Bill? I, I honestly have forgotten.
1: Okay, um, I need to do a little calculation, or I could tell you how what I tell Chinese people when they ask me that—that that always gets a uh, shock from them. I say I've been here oh a hundred years, and <laughs> and then the next question is, oh really? How old are you? Well, I'm San sanshu I'm 137, and they and <laughs> and then they know most people know that I'm kidding, but uh, Scotty, I came here. You know, it was. What was it? It was 34 years ago, right? I was here a year before you came, actually, when we uh, camped out at the Yoi Wang, the Friendship Hotel in Beijing.
0: (laughs) What appealed to you initially about China? Why did you go there in the first place?
1: Uh, Well, I'd been working uh, in Ottawa as a journalist for quite a long time. And I just uh, felt like I needed a break and I was going to take a sabbatical one year. And now look where I am. And to be clear, Scotty, it hasn't. I haven't been here for 34 years, right? I left China um, after my third year when we all made a hasty retreat at Liao Si, right? June 4th uh, in the Tiananmen Square incident. So it was in 1989 that um, I returned to uh, Canada and lived in Saskatchewan and I brought my a uh, beautiful Chinese wife, Feng Fang, uh, with me to Canada. And we landed in Regina, Saskatchewan and uh, built a life there. We built a really nice life with the help of my sister Maggie and uh, and family there. But, um, you know, Feng Fang, I guess, got a little bit homesick. And I was also interested in seeing how China had just zoomed ahead in its development from the time that I left in '89 to just before the Olympics, so in 2007 uh, we decamped again from Canada and uh, and set up in in Beijing again and, and worked on the and worked on the Olympics in 2008.
0: Is that why you returned to work on the Olympics, or were you deciding then that you were going back to live for the long term?
1: Well, I know that uh, Fanvang had done well in Canada, but she certainly missed. My wife had certainly missed being in China and China seemed very interesting, extremely interesting at that time. I mean, it was just before the Olympics and so much was happening and we thought, you know, it could be a very interesting time to see what we can achieve, um, in that, in that period around the Olympics. And it was an extremely interesting time. I remember meeting you here. You came with the star. Uh, to do some some recording and reporting on the Olympics,
0: when I was back there in 2008, I remember being both impressed with all the new stuff, but I also missed some of the old, older, you know, really quaint aspects of Beijing. That these hutongs, these really lovely, quaint alleyways, that many of those were gone to make way for for new construction. You've seen all these changes. What's it been like for you?
1: Beijing was was very interesting when we were here in the in the 1980s and we used to cycle everywhere and we lived at the friendship hotel and had all of these nice services and all the foreigners were there it was extremely interesting remember the the bird market and cycling all the streams of people cycling um Mm -hmm. and weekly trips from the yoi bingwang the friendship hotel to the yoi shengdian the friendship store all the way across city and it was across the city and it would take us all day and we'd get on these buses and go and shop and then come back. And I'm sorry, I'm digressing here a little bit, but it was extremely interesting. But it was also a kind of a time and a place that you knew you wouldn't be there forever. You wouldn't be staying in China forever. It was a it was an, an experience, right? It was a, most people came for a year. I came for three years, almost stayed longer. It was in transition, and maybe it wasn't really as nice as you would you would want, right? We didn't have cars, and people didn't have apartments, and there were restrictions on where you could live. So now all of that has changed, right? We have Starbucks, McDonald's, we have great places to go and to eat. Um, I have a car. I, I drive myself. I live in a nice apartment in a in a Chinese neighborhood, a Chinese compound. And so things are are much more convenient. And I guess that's why I'm here now for the long term, whereas I wouldn't have probably stayed this long if if it was still the 1990s, right?
0: Back when we were first there, there were some people who really enjoyed the experience of being in China, but knew that they weren't going to return or be there for the long term. And there were other people who seemed to know immediately that this place resonated with them and sort of dove in and began studying the language. And you were one of those people who decided at that time, I'm gonna learn Chinese. And I recall uh, looking at you and thinking, man, I wish I had that sort of discipline. I I just, I really wanted to learn Chinese. I learned enough to get by, but you really pursued it. What do you think it was about the country that that made you know and that made you wanna do that?
1: I actually don't like the term expat Because it refers to someone who has come for a year or two and has done business and uh, ends up assimilating some parts of China and thinking that they know everything there is to know about China when they don't. And so the language, I right from the very beginning, I knew that if I wanted to really understand what China and Chinese people was like, I'd have to learn some of the language. And I'll tell you, it sure makes my my experience here a lot different than, than most people. And I... You know, I don't mean to say that my Chinese is perfect. I still have a long way to go, but I could communicate with people in a very friendly and open manner and learn from them their kind of their their thinking about about life and about things. Right? You know, just my interaction, my daily daily life is so much better when uh, because I can uh, speak Chinese. It really, it's really made a huge difference.
0: Tell us what a typical day is is like for you.
1: Well, they all seem to be running into each other these days, but I I play and teach golf, if you can believe it, in China here. This is a big a big thing. It's, you know, golf is um, still a kind of a niche sport and people um don't understand it very well they think oh it's a luxury sport it's too expensive and in fact it is expensive in china more so than in canada uh, but it's expanding you know it really has expanded and since the the virus the coronavirus since things have been sort of opening up golf was one of the first things that did open up we could play uh, on a course, and our driving range has opened up. So, to your question, what do I do? I, uh, for example, today I I got up um, and 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 my wife and I went went to the range where it was extremely hot, and um, we 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 practice we practice some golf for a long time. I'm also a teacher there, so I had a couple of meetings with people, a golf instructor, and they're opening a a cafe, and we're trying to figure out. An English name, the Players Club. I think it's going to be, and um, you know, so I kind I kind of hang around there. Everybody's really friendly. Um, and then we had some. We uh, the range is right near a um, a mall, an outlet, and we went to and we went to Starbucks. I went to Starbucks and got a sandwich and brought it back to the range, and we sat there in the big open space, and it was real real nice. Hit a few more balls. Came home. Uh, Did some reading and some work, a little shopping beforehand. And then I had a lesson at four o'clock back to the range um, with young Ray, who's 10 years old and making great progress as a golfer. Um, And then just before rushing home, took advantage uh, to drop into the gym that has just opened, reopened. I'm glad that is because it's kind of ballooned up over the last couple of months and then came home and and had a really nice home-cooked Chinese, Chinese meal.
0: I'd like to go back to January of this year, January, February. Uh, coronavirus really started getting on the public radar with the lockdown of Wuhan in January. What was it like living in Beijing at that time and knowing that this thing was unfolding inside your country and might potentially come to your city?
1: It was extremely worrisome. It was right around Chinese New Year and i don't know if people in the west understand that chinese new year is like is like thanksgiving and christmas all wrapped into one and uh, we heard about the wuhan lockdown just as uh, my wife was going to go home to xi'an to visit for a couple of days over chinese new year and it was ki- it was really quite shocking and she canceled her ticket Um, we debated back and forth whether it was that serious and we should do that. And we decided, in fact, um, uh, my wife's uh, whole family that doesn't live in, she decided not to go back. And that was the safest thing. So that was really, uh, uh, you know, the the starting gun of the whole thing that has happened since then.
0: And, when the lockdown was, was on in Beijing, because I understand that in most major Chinese cities, as in the rest of the world, there was a period where, you know, your movements were restricted. What was that like? How did you get groceries? How far did you have to go?
1: Well, Scotty, I mean, Beijing wasn't locked down, right? Wuhan was locked down where people were told they couldn't leave their homes. They couldn't leave the city. We were, we were never really, we were never locked down. Um, but we had, but we had to have uh, wear a mask. Um, oh gosh, it, it it was so shocking. Um, just as all of this was um, unfolding, going to our local uh, grocery store called Jenny's, and um, and people were lined up like overnight. This happened. People were lined up at the cash register buying thousands of yuan renminbi, b. Hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth of groceries. It just it was just so amazing that people were in line with two shopping carts full uh, of food. Right, that this this panic immediately set in. And can you guess what we did? We bought a whole bunch of stuff to store. Right, uh, and uh, you know rice, beans, pasta, and all all of that stuff. We di- we did it too. And you know there were images that. Um, of the counters going bare, but, you know, it wasn't, it was not for long. My apartment is right directly above a supermarket that is um, a a Beijing-wide chain called Long. and there was a rush, but within a day or two, there were stacks and stacks of vegetables uh, within the store where you would normally have seen them in the they would have been put in the back storeroom these were right in the store as a kind of a show that they're not that that nothing is going to be running low or we're going to be out of food so that that was quite you know the initial onset of the whole thing um there was i hate to use the word panic it wasn't we weren't really panicked but there was some panic buying for sure and then there was the issue of of face masks trying to get face masks and fun fun bought some uh, my wife bought some right uh, right at the very beginning and got some. so that that was uh, that was the beginning of it. And really, it's lasted until, you know really the the very acute measures, the very serious measures that we all, everybody took seriously without complaint, have lasted um, right up until the last couple of weeks. Now we have an app on our phone um, that you have to uh, show and scan. Um, and I think it does a couple of things. We don't know exactly. First of all, it check, it checks you in or your phone in to the location that you arrive at. Uh, and secondly, it, um, I think it pings all of the past places your phone has been to make sure that you haven't been somewhere where there has been an outbreak or outside the city and you should be in quarantine or something like that.
0: One of the things I recall seeing on Chinese social media that I have not really seen happening in North America is sort of the widespread use of uh, thermal scanning, where someone with a handheld scanner would check your temperature. Was that fairly common in in Beijing or is it still going on?
1: Um it happened all of the time, everywhere you went. Every time I came in and out of the community, there was the, someone with the the the, the, the little guard. Um, security guard would be there with a thermal scanner with a th- little thermometer and and flash your wrist uh, f- at first it was your forehead but then i guess they moved it to the wrist and it could happen every public place you went to um, you would, you would have your temperature uh, taken it was quite amazing and it was quite well organized not sure if it was uh, um if it was real Oftentimes we come in the gate, and they would uh, shoot the light at your arm, and then not look at the temperature. <laughs> and in the winter, and in the winter time, I would demand—not demand—I would ask the guard, what, what, "What's my temperature?" One time it was forty-three degrees, and another time it read twenty-three degrees. And we kind of just laughed. I mean, that it was the principle of the thing, right? I mean, if you're sick and you're going to get detected, you have to obey uh the common sense rules of putting yourself in um in quarantine right and that's what's really been amazing for me to see here is that there's a there's a new normal that everybody adheres to there's no question about whether you should wear a mask whether you should do the right thing whether you should wash your hands whether you should social distance although that's still an issue, right? It always has been in China. It's a crowded place, but uh, there's just this sense that, you know, it's it's the duty of the individual to like conform to what is required to benefit the larger society. Um, Scotty, I just tell you the story a little bit about um, an outbreak that happened in June at a market. I don't know if you've heard about this at the uh, Xinfadi. Um, where there was um, a wholesale market, a huge wholesale market, and some people were getting sick there. And that whole uh, area way to the south of where I live, uh, the southwest <clears throat> of Beijing where I live, about 60 kilometers away, but still really in Beijing proper, right? That's how big the city is. Um, the whole, All the communities around there, and when I say, oh, I'm not sure exactly if every single one of them, but many of them were locked down, and people were told they couldn't leave their communities for two weeks. They and and food was brought in and left for them, and uh, groceries the same. But people um, just knew that they couldn't leave, and you know, it even happened to my wife's doctor, who she canceled a uh, she canceled an appointment because she was. Uh, in quarantine and wasn't sick. It ends up that that outbreak that at one time was spotting over a hundred, over a hundred people a day is gone. It's over with. And within weeks it's over. It didn't spread. People weren't going to bars. They weren't going out. They weren't having friends over for dinner. You know, that it's just sort of like the most basic common sense you can imagine and the people made these sacrifices i mean surely they must have been upset and pissed off and really difficult but they did it and nobody no I, I don't know about nobody but people just knew they had to do what they had to do right
0: and when you when you watch that and when you see how it's been handled inside china you talk about you know an outbreak that had the potential to become another wave and it's all tamped down in a short period of time what do you think when you look at other parts of the world and how they are responding? Is there any example that comes to your mind when you, when you cast your eyes abroad?
1: You know, people in China again cannot fathom what is going on in the U.S., and I'm sure uh, it's not only people in China who can't fathom this. But you know, there there's some uh, some language and understanding and cultural differences that have always existed between. You know, North America and West and and China, but this has just exasperated the whole thing, that that whole sense trying to understand what is going on over there. I mean, when you think about um, after uh, after Wuhan and after China, Italy was struck very seriously, and they have been able to recover, whereas. Um, it's not happening. It's not happening in the U.S. Yeah, it's um it, It's really a very concerning uh, time in the world, and I think uh, if I look back on the WeChats that um, you and I had in January and February, we see that you were uh, more. You you were more forward thinking than I was. I, I you were you were concerned, and I was just trying to. You know, play it out. I didn't quite believe that it was going to get to this extent, but
0: we've heard the U.S. president uh refer to the virus as the Chinese virus. Is that something that comes up in discussion when you're speaking with Chinese friends? And what do they say when they hear the U.S. president say this?
1: Uh, right, that that is the worst thing that has happened, um, to China in a, in a long, long time. I mean, it's so insulting and so negative. And such a mean-spirited thing to say. It's just, it's just awful. And you know, Chinese people get their news from um, their own source, their own unique source of news. And it has been played. um, You know, Trump's response has been played over and over again. And it's seen here as by most people as a mere election ploy, right? That he is trying to rally his base contain China. This is the phrase that we always hear that U.S. is trying to contain China, right? Decoupling between the U.S. and the Chinese economies. I mean, it's just, it, 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 there's something in Chinese people would, most people would agree that there's something just crazy. There's some craziness that's happening here. You know, th- this kind of rhetoric and this overt racism is just so hurtful. It's just awful. When I think about you know just to go back to where we were talking about reminiscing about our time in in China in the 19 80s and 90s and you know the US was seen as the you know the place where everybody wanted to be and wanted to go and uh, you know the the television shows that you saw how Americans lived were so beautiful and so up, you know so so upscale and so beyond the wildest dreams that most people could have a washing machine, a refrigerator, a dishwasher. And people just looked up to the U S and thought that that was, that was where they wanted to be. Now in the last uh, number of years, we talked about the China dream building up um, a middle class and beyond middle class here in China. And then we get smacked in the head by this uh, by, by, by Trump and his, uh, terrible, phrasy words and actions. It's really sad. The vast majority of
0: people in North America will never, ever, ever understand China the way that you do. If you wanted to tell one of those people who'd never been to China and who never will get there something about the Chinese people, what would you tell them?
1: I would tell them... I would tell them without hesitation that the average Chinese people are far freer than North Americans or Westerns Westerners think the uh, level of life and Liberty and the ability to pursue happiness here, the, the the ability to pursue a career and a life and to build a life and a family is as high as anywhere um, in in, in North America or Europe.
0: All right, Bill, you haven't uh, heard this sound before. I have not told you this is coming, but this sound <coughs> indicates that we're at the rapid-fire section where I'm going to ask you just a few very short questions, and you're going to give me a few short answers. One, what is your favorite type of Chinese food?
1: My wife is from Xi'an, so I like um, uh Young pau mo That's um uh, Young pau mo 对. That's all you get.
0: Shamiisa. <laughs> what does Yomira that
1: mean? It's, a, it's a hot dish with um, uh, lamb cooked in it and, um, and, and, a, and a bun, a, uh, an unleavened bun that's ripped into a million pieces and put in the soup. And it is so good. That's what I like.
0: What's your favorite type of North
1: American food? Uh, salmon. Salmon. I, I'll, I'll do with the salmon. What's your favorite time of the year in China? um not this time of year that's for sure it is 38 degrees and 98% humidity uh so i would it's a toss up between spring and fall i think spring spring comes way earlier here than in canada so it's really nice to be able to go play golf in in late february
0: okay what's your favorite place in china outside of beijing
1: oh you know i haven't really done very much traveling but I really like my wife's hometown, Xi'an. It's where the the terracotta soldiers are. It's an it's really an amazing city and another example of how China has developed like crazy. It used to be when I lived there in the 80s after I left Beijing, uh I lived in Xi'an for 1 year and I used to call it a, a small provincial town of 6 million people. And uh, and now it's it's a, an amazing provincial capital that is doing incredibly well and is built up like crazy.
0: And finally, Bill, what do you look forward to doing most when the pandemic is over that you can't do right now?
1: That is easy. I want to return to Saskatchewan to see my 18-month-old granddaughter who I have never met. Wow. Well, I look
0: forward to you being able to do that, uh hopefully sooner rather than later. Bill Siggins, thank you so much. It's been super great to catch up and also to hear the perspective of someone who was living in China through this very remarkable uh, year and period. Thank,
1: thanks so much, Bill. It's great talking to you, Scotty. Let's uh, stay in touch. Take care.
0: It really was great to catch up with uh, with Bill again. I'm going to try and dust off my Mandarin, which I haven't used since the Olympics in 2008, and say... Tasher wo de lao which means, and maybe I got one of the tones wrong, but it means he is indeed uh, my old friend. Now you hear that music? That's from Sui Jin, one of China's biggest rock stars. I had the great fortune of playing drums for him for a year in Beijing a very long time ago, and I also helped report on the student movement back in 1989. That was the biggest story I'd ever witnessed in my life until 2020 came along. I'm Scott Simi, and you've been listening to Inside Stories.
1: The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of Bank of Montreal, its affiliates or subsidiaries.